Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Avalon, California, and the legendary casino here in Catalina. And for those people who are aware of Catalina Island, a piece of the myth I have to dispel, it is not 26 miles across the sea, as the popular song might indicate. More like 22 miles across the sea if you're coming from Newport Beach, and about 43 miles across the sea if you're coming from Los Angeles. But well worth it. And we're coming to you from the actual casino, which, by the way, was never open as a gambling casino. The casino is the Italian word for gathering place. And what a gathering place this has been ever since it opened in May of 1929. Unbelievable building and built, guess what, by the Wrigley family. And when you walk in, you're going up these huge concrete ramps, which they modeled after another place they happen to own, Wrigley Field in Chicago. It's also the place where the Chicago Cubs used to come for spring training, and they played here at another place called Wrigley Field. So much history here. Uh, by the way, this, this casino is 11 stories high. Uh, it's got the world's largest circular ballroom. Imagine 600 people dancing to the big band sounds of uh, Betty Goodman or Perry Como or Harry James. And if you've done any research on Catalina Island, you know that you cannot speak the name Catalina without speaking the name Wrigley, as in William Wrigley, the famous chewing gum magnet who added so much to this island, and basically so much of it still remains. And part of the reason for that is his family's involvement. And joining me now, someone who I had the pleasure of talking to the last time we did this show from Avalon, Allison Wrigley-Rusak. How are you, Allison? I'm doing great, Peter. Thanks for coming to visit us. I'm happy to visit you. In fact, the last time <laughs> I was here, in fact, the last time I was here, you were actually on the, on the verge of opening a spa, I believe. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we opened the Island Spa Catalina, and uh, we've been just tugging along trying to uh, keep everything fresh and new and got lots of new things. And we're on the verge now of opening the Atwater, reopening the Atwater Hotel, which is uh, almost 100 years old. 1920 was when it was built. Well, I can tell you, Allison, that I was over there today. Um, I remember the old Atwater Hotel. You've done a, an amazing job of, of redoing it and keeping its its sensibilities um, and its architectural touches. Uh, I should tell everybody that, you know, uh, I live on an island as well. This is why I have such affinity for Catalina. Uh, with my island, most people only get there by boat. With Catalina, most people only get there by boat. Uh, mm -hmm. On my island, there are very, very few cars. On Catalina, there are very, very few cars. You get a chance to walk and see things. But there's so much great history here that you have been so much a part of. Well, it's just something that's in my blood, I think. Uh, each, of, each of the generations from my great-grandfather uh, getting hooked on Catalina in 1919, uh, the passion has gone on from him to my grandfather, uh, Philip, and my father, William, and now to me and, and also to our kids, um, my husband, Jeff, and my uh, kids, who are uh, involved as well. It's just uh, it's a magic place. It's hard to describe. I suppose, I, I suppose it's one of those things that once you're here, you don't leave. And that's, that really basically reflects your family's involvement. Yes. It's true, and, and we all have a passion for trying to um, improve it. I mean, we love it, but we also want to keep it, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting balance between keeping the history alive, which is so important to all of us, but also keeping up with the times and uh, keeping uh, everything new and exciting and someplace that people come back to visit just to see what's going on now and what's fun. And that's, that's one of the neat things about the Outwater. It's a great uh, blend. 
mother, Helen Atwater Wrigley, and uh, then it has sort of morphed over the years into various uses and various looks, as, as I'm sure you're aware, and now was the time to bring it back to uh, some of its former glory, or I would say probably most of its former glory, and also uh, see, you know, what we can add that's that's part of the times, like uh, having a a communal table in the lobby where everybody can uh, hook up their laptops and sit and work, and uh, lobby bar service, and beautiful but tiny rooms, Um, but they're really efficiently laid out, and uh, it's just, it's it's a neat look, and it's been a lot of fun to do. Well, the thing that got me to laugh was uh, your turndown service. Our, our, sorry, I couldn't hear that. Yeah, the thing that got me to laugh was your turndown service. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that. Well, you know, the turndown service is, uh, we, we decided that instead of the, the usual chocolates and whatnot, we have a, uh, a pack of gum that everybody gets, a pack of Wrigley's gum that appears at turndown, and uh, another uh, nice little uh, personal uh, kind of homage to my grandmother is the sparkling wine that you get in your room when you uh, first arrive. And uh, that's something I remember so clearly from growing up as a child. We had uh, we had uh, appetizers every night uh, along with the cocktail hour, and she would have her ritual split of champagne every night. And uh, that was just part of it. And uh, it was it was a wonderful memory, and uh, we've incorporated a lot of those little personal touches throughout. There. Exactly, Allison Wrigley Rusak from the legendary Wrigley family. But inside this casino, which was actually opened back in 1929, I should tell you a personal note, Allison, that uh, when I was growing up, I would hear stories about it all the time from my mother, who was an original Los Angeles native, because when she was in her late teens and early 20s, she came over here all the time because she sang with the Benny Goodman Band in this casino. She sang with... She sang... She sang with the Perry Como band. She sang with Frank Sinatra. So as you can imagine, I couldn't wait to get over here about 44 years ago when I first came over here to see what she kept on telling me about all those years. And what I saw 44 years ago, the good news is I still see it here today. That's wonderful. You know, that's a, that's a key part of what we're trying to do is keep the history alive. That's something that uh, you, you can't buy history, you can't make it up. Uh, well, I guess you can make it up, but that's not always a great <laughs> success. It, this is authentic. That's one of the things that is also special about Catalina, and we don't intend to ever let go of that. The, um, and you know, and you know when, when, when the big bands were here... When the big bands were here, you had, and still do have, the largest circular ballroom in the world. You had 55-foot ceilings, large chandeliers, amazing acoustics. And when you come and visit this casino and you see how big the ballroom is, you can just imagine, um, you know, all those people on the dance floor in their in their best outfits uh, doing all, I mean, just having the best time of their life. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it really was a truly uh, spectacular era when they could do that, and uh, who knows what, uh, what their holds for the future, and, and uh, maybe that era will come back or something equally spectacular and, uh, and fun. Now we use it for weddings and galas for nonprofit events, and it's, uh, we have concerts. There are all sorts of uh, wonderful things that we still use the ball, ballroom for, and it's just as applicable today as it was then. Exactly. What what it speaks to me, and you mentioned this a little bit, Allison, is of a certain innocence and optimism from the day, which hopefully will transcend till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we're certainly seeing that in the people who visit here, and uh, people seem very excited on Instagram and, and all the other types of social media platforms. We're seeing a lot of postings from people um, from the Scanso Beach Club enjoying themselves, a lot of weddings, uh, and they're also very excited about uh, the Atwater and what this newest jewel is going to show them when they, uh, they get in there. Exactly. I've, I've got a question for you, and that is, of course, it's always a double-edged sword of having how you manage growth in a world in which so many destinations now are complaining about over-tourism. Uh, just recently, in the last six days, Venice has now banned cruise ships from the major oh, terminals there because of all the disruption there. Um, I'm sure these are challenges that you have here to protect this as, as essentially a hidden gem. We do, and that's one of the uh, the interesting things about the Catalina Conservancy, which my uh, grandfather Philip and his uh, his sister Dorothy Offfield uh, established, along with my grandmother in 1972. 88% of Catalina is protected, and the mission of the conservancy really is to keep the balance between uh, conservation and recreation and education along the way. So you want to share Catalina. I think that applies to the whole island, not just the conservancy. We want to share it. We want it to be beautiful, but somehow we have to manage it so that it doesn't get to that point of over-tourism or get ruined in the process. Well, what I always like to quote, and I'll let you give me the answer on this, Allison, is what's the waiting list to get a permit to have a car here? Uh, Well, I've heard that at the moment it's about 10 years. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> although, although I'll tell you what I miss. I'll tell you what I miss. It's one thing to get the Catalina Express and and get over here in about an hour. It's another thing to helicopter over here, which you can do in about you know twelve minutes uh, from Long Beach or in about twenty eight minutes from Burbank. But I miss the big ferry, the old big ferry, the Avalon. <laughs> well, there were you know there were the good points and the bad points to that. I miss the old steamers, the great white steamer that you you could bring horses on in the bottom, and it was it was quite a uh, quite a destination almost in itself that trip on the steamer. But in today's time, people want to get everywhere faster, so I think it's it's not quite the same. Uh, so that you know that's one of the changes that's happened along the way, and uh, it's still a lot of fun on the Catalina. And uh, the views from the helicopter are pretty amazing. So I, I don't see that as a, as a huge loss, but who knows? Maybe that'll come back in the future too. I highly recommend the uh, the helicopter ride. It never fails to disappoint because you get to see and appreciate the whole island before you land. Toto, I'm feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I've been coming here since 1973, so what, 46 years? Um, Certain things have never changed, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, And they've had a great opportunity and a great mandate to make sure of that and also to preserve that history and culture uh, with a new museum, uh, the the Catalina Museum. Uh, And joining me now from the museum, Gail Fornicere, who... I've had the pleasure of talking to you many times before on this show, but the last time I talked to you on this radio show, you didn't have that museum. No, we were in the process of building at that moment. 
it's such an amazing place to go to because you really tell the story of going back to, well, the Spanish, really. We try to tell as much as possible. I mean, we go back to as far as the uh, native islanders that we know for sure were here at least 8,000 years and uh, maybe a little longer. Wow. And then, of course, the Wrigley family. Absolutely. And the Wrigley family is thanks to them is what you see in Avalon today is really due to his, his, Mr. Wrigley's vision. Exactly. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, there's, there's such history from just one family's influence. It's amazing. I think I don't think he knew when he bought the island that he would be planning a community and a city and taking care of a bunch of residents. But that's exactly what happened. Exactly. And how long did that, that last? Well, he bought the island in 1919, so 100 years ago, and then he uh, passed away in 1932. But his family, his son, Philip Wrigley, took over uh, his entities then, and uh, the uh, Wrigley family still continues to have an influence today. Now, you're from Wisconsin. Yes. So I, I love you already because I went to school there. You know that. But what, what brought you here? Well, uh, I grew up in Wisconsin, but I was, uh, went to college in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was there. And my husband and I had an opportunity from someone we knew in Minneapolis to move to the island. So we came but to what check did, it out. But, but what did you know about Catalina? Nothing. Uh, a friend of ours, a guy that my husband used to work with, actually was moving out to the island to work for his brother-in-law, who was the manager of a vacation rental company. And they stayed in touch, and they said, hey... We have a maintenance position for you if you want it. and So you came. So we came. Smartly, they brought us out in December from Minnesota, and so it was five below to zero there and <laughs> 75 and sunny here, and we went, what are we doing? And here you are. And <laughs> yes. here you are. Yes. There is so much history that dates, I mean, forgetting back to the Native Islanders, but just American history here. Yes. That's one of my favorite pieces is that I don't think people realize the impact that uh, the island had on American history. It's the, uh, in 1912 was the very first overwater flight by Glenn Martin from Newport to Catalina. Amazing. Um, our, our war history here is fantastic, too. It's one of my personal favorite stories. A lot of military history here. Yes. And you even have uh, some old videos, actually old footage, of, of sailors and Marines training to abandon ship here. Yes, it's pretty fascinating. Weird, you know, it's like they train people on how to abandon ship with burning wa burning oil in the water. Yes, burning oil in the water and uh, all the different things that they had to do. The Maritime Service was the most attacked of all the uh, people. They were the provider of the supplies, so they were really always under attack, so they had to be careful. And, of course, the Chicago Cubs. Of course, the beloved Chicago Cubs. Uh, from 1921 to 1951, they trained here and... Uh, Radio broadcasts were from here of the um, of the games, and it really opened the eyes up of people around the country to one the team and also the island. And the and, and it was called Wrigley Field. We had our own regulation size Wrigley Field here on the island. How much chewing gum? Oh, <laughs> I guess pay that, for? I guess that answers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of five cent pieces of gum. That's right. When it, when it used to be five cents. <laughs> What's the most interesting thing in your in your exhibits? The thing that people are not expecting? You know, I think what they don't expect is the variety of things that the island was involved with or touched on. Um, so usually we get people walking out saying, I had no idea. And it might be that Marilyn Monroe was here, uh, living here for six months during World War II. It might be that um, there was a bird park here that was revolutionary in its research and breeding. 
well, all the movies that were done here. How about uh, Mutiny on the Bounty? Come on. Yes, 1935. It's the Not most... Not shot in Tahiti, folks. <laughs> nope. It was way Fletcher before... Christian was here. That's yes, right. way before um, air travel was easy. So um, it's actually the most awarded, as far as Academy Awards and things like that, film ever filmed on the island. Exactly. And they were all here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Islanders were the um, extras as well. Now, you have an exhibit coming up. I'm assuming there's a connection with Esther Williams. Yes. Esther Williams filmed Jupiter's Darling uh, here on the island in 1955, and then some of the water scenes from Million Dollar Mermaid were off of the island, but she also came here uh, with her family. And of course, as you and I know, because we've talked about this offline, where we're sitting right now in this casino, my mom sang here with all the big bands, with Benny Goodman, Perry Como. Perry Como actually worked here as a barber in World War II before, <laughs> right, but Perry Como, Benny Goodman, Sinatra, they were all here. All of them. It was the best spot, and then uh, CBS Radio broadcast it to the nation, coming to you live from which, the beautiful which network, Avalon Which network was that? CBS. CBS Radio. Okay, this is good. So we've come full circle, mm -hmm. I suppose. What about this casino? Because this casino is, is built so strong. Um, I mean, it is really a rock, right? And it's, and it's endured for 90 years. What's the thing that's most fascinating to you about this building? I would say um, the architecture and the uh, murals that are here done by John Gabriel Beckman, who also did the murals of Grumman's Chinese Theater. And, again, and it was never used as a gambling casino. Never. Ever. No. People think that it was, but it's not. Yeah, maybe for a party, someone brought in something For a at charity one time, party, but, but not, it was never no, an operating casino. Never. But people think it was. Yes. And the largest circular ballroom in the world. Absolutely. And it's beautiful in and of itself. And it's such an amazing uh, feat of engineering, especially for that time. How many people could fit in that at one point? Uh, when it first opened, about 600 dancers on the floor. Strong floor. Yes. <laughs> yes. And they were worried that you could hear the dancers in the theater um, at the time. But they, they worked that out and made it so worthwhile that Radio City Music Hall even studied the acoustics in this theater where we're sitting when they were building that. What's the thing that keeps you on Catalina? You know, it's like no other place. It, it is charming, and it's a small town at the end of the day. I grew up in a small town, and I just love the people and the atmosphere, and you're on an island. Why not? Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. Uh, whenever I come to Catalina, I'm looking for this guy because he's got a title that will explain to you why I keep looking for him. His title is Vice President of Activities. <laughs> that means he knows everywhere and everywhere and everyone to talk to to go where you want to go. Andrew Wellam, how are you, sir? Very good. Thank you for having me. And based on that accent, you're not a, you're not from around here. I tried to say I'm from Texas, but it doesn't usually work. So, <laughs> no, you're from England. I'm born and raised in England. Yes. So this has got to be a culture shock for you. It was initially, yes, absolutely. What brought you here? Uh, so in uh, 2012, um, I came over to the island to visit uh, a very dear friend of mine um, who was working, living on the island, and um, I thought, wow, this is unique. I actually had never heard of Catalina, so I had to Google it and find out where it was in relation to LA and everything else. And um, yeah, I came, visited uh, visited Ben, and this place is, just blew my mind. It's almost this this tropical paradise in the middle of uh, in the middle of nowhere. So that's well, how I came. But, but I mean, it's isolated. It is. 
it's removed, and part of that, and part of that is its beauty. Absolutely, and I think that's uh, you know the charm of the island is is exactly that. But, I mean, if you're looking for intense nightlife, this is probably not the place to come. Absolutely, I should uh, I should probably get that get that all done in L.A. because here's a pretty sleepy town. But it's sleepy by design. Yes, absolutely. So when, the last time I saw you, we took a, a wild tour of the interior of the island um, on uh, an old Hummer, uh, especially outfitted for, to give me as many bumps as I could get. <laughs> But I mean, most people don't. You know, most people don't get a chance if they're just coming over for the day to get outside of, of Avalon. That's right. Yes. Um, typically, you'll uh, have have a, a rental golf cart and make your way around the city, and that's, that's as far as you're going to go. See, yes. So, what were the surprises to you after, actually when you went outside Avalon? I think when you when you arrive and you're kind of, you could easily be. Anywhere it could be in the Mediterranean, these small you know houses clustered on the hillside, and then once you actually make your way up uh, the stagecoach road and you and you get out of the city and you start to enter into the interior and you start to see this rugged off road terrain and this the island completely changes um, and then all of a sudden there's bison just roaming in the middle of the road and it's it's really surreal um, that's it's magical I mean part of it's tropical, part of it's a desert. And it has, yeah, it has those combinations. Part of it's volcanic. Right. I mean, and then you, and then all of a sudden you stumble on this uh, pristine beach. Yeah, it's, you couldn't describe it. I don't think you could actually make it up if you were, if this is, a, you know, it's almost a fantasy island. What is Shark Harbor? <laughs> Shark Harbor is actually, um, I think, one of the hidden gems uh, of Catalina, unless you actually uh, take a tour or you um, have a, an interior permit to actually go into the interior, um, you, you wouldn't know or find it. Um, it's this just hidden, beautiful beach that is peaceful. It's idyllic setting. It's uh, you know usually peaceful, known as Shark Harbor. <laughs> well, I believe that the sharks uh, that they're referring to are leopard sharks. So I haven't actually. Uh, encountered anything other than that in my time in the water so that's a good thing and a leopard shark is essentially what a glorified catfish i, I would say so yeah it's uh, they don't uh, they don't have teeth that would hurt you that much okay you mentioned one of two hidden gems what's the other so in the interior i think um ben weston has to be one of the other really magical places and what it's, is that so ben weston is uh, on the backside of of the of the island and it's down it's actually sorry it's up it's uh, towards uh, isthmus cove and it's just this beautiful overlook you can actually on a clear day see san clemente island and um, you can only get there by hiking and so, by the way san clemente island is a top secret island run by the united states navy off limits to everybody I got a chance to actually go there and do a story once, and they did a remarkable, they, they did something that's unbelievable. They did something called ELF, called Extreme Low Frequency. They, they laid hundreds of thousands of steel cables that gridded the floor of the oceans that could be very susceptible to extreme low frequency sound for the express purpose of listening for the noise that was made distinctively by Russian submarines. submarines. So they always knew where the Russians were because while the Russians were faster than we were, they could dive deeper than we could, they couldn't lick their noise problem. And as long as you could hear them, you knew where they were. It was wild. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's true. Yeah. So you can see San Clemente Island, you just can't go there. Yeah, I, I actually passed, passed fairly close to it in a boat before and uh, we were being watched, that's for sure. It's <laughs> some great fishing off the backside of Right, as long as you could get the fish before you got shot at. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But let's talk about the backside because there's so many backsides to this island because 
and most people don't see it. Very true. Yes, I um I think that uh, I, I, I've been ninety percent of the island, but there's still places that I haven't been and discovered simply because they're kind of off limits to to vehicles and those kind of things. So get your hiking boots out. Exactly. The other thing you need to know is that there's a great history here that goes back to World War One, World War Two. What they trained for here. What, what those barracks are still around. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. The, as I was saying, the, his, the history of the island is 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 phenomenal and um just even the story of, of how the bison arrived here just blew me away and if no you can't it has to be made up but, but it's, it's true. true if you are continuing on to another southwest destination please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information if you are continuing on with another airline we really don't care i am a passenger You don't have to look far to see the Wrigley imprint on this island. And if you're really lucky, you get to be a Wrigley and grow up here. And uh, joining me now uh, from the Wrigley family, uh, we talked to Allison earlier. It's, it's Austin Wrigley Rusek. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous, Austin. I mean, what a great opportunity you had to just spend so much time on this island. Uh, hey, Peter, thanks for having me. Yeah, Avalon uh, is an amazing place. I mean, all of the island is really, really incredible feel so lucky to have been able to grow up heading out there and, you know, taking advantage of the incredible waters and incredible nature and, and all the good things. Well, the good news is, I mean, we all talk about our summer jobs. You had a summer job here as a guide, so you know the island. I do, I do. It was a, it was a blast. I worked as a zipline guide for a summer. It was back in 2012, and it's got to be one of the more fun jobs I've ever done. The part how, of how, high is that, how high is that zipline? Uh, I think the highest point is about 300 feet off the canyon floor, with the longest zip being about 1,045 feet. Well, and how many different towers? Uh, there's six different towers, uh, making five zips total. It starts up in the top of Descanso Canyon, and you zip five times down and end at Descanso Beach. Not a bad way to end the day, but uh, how much screaming is involved? <laughs> Uh, you know, it depends on the guest. It really depends on the guest. Um, but we do have the third line, which we call the screamer or the roller coaster line. It's a very, very steep descent and then sharp uphill to get to the platform at a safe speed. So we'd always encourage as much screaming as possible on that line. <laughs> cool deal. But, you know, it's not just Avalon. It's, it's the whole island, right? I mean, you, you have so many different harbors. You have so much history there. It goes back to before World War II. Absolutely. Yeah. There's some incredible history out on the island. Um, the, most of it now is owned by the Conservancy, which is in charge of maintaining and protecting the island, while also being able to share it with any of the guests and tourists that come out. But there are some world-class diving spots and surf spots and amazing hiking. It's, it's really an incredible place. Now, of course, what made you such a great guide was you also served as a bartender. I did. I did. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun as well. I uh, worked bartending for a little while at the Avalon Grill, and that's uh, a great place in town to go and get cocktails and dinner. And your favorite cocktail? You can tell me. Uh, my favorite cocktail is actually the Wrigley Martini. It is uh, based <laughs> as I of, said, uh, As I said, you don't have to go far to hear the Wrigley name. Okay. What's, a, what's no, in the no, Wrigley don't. Martini? Don't tell me it's Spearmint uh, or Double Mint. So it's, it's actually made with Hendrix gin and Noily Pratt dry vermouth, but it always comes with a pack of Wrigley's gum. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yep. 
You know, the, the the one thing I didn't I didn't ask Allison earlier in the show because you're you know doing the turn down service with the Wrigley gum and, and the hotel room is you're gonna have to train your housekeeping to look under the bed for people putting their gum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> under absolutely. The, under the table. Definitely a worry. That is definitely it a worry, is. but it is a lot of fun to have those uh, those packs of gum instead of your traditional chocolates or mints on the pillow. Now, when you're spending time here, I mean, what's the fa- what what was your favorite activity? You know, I I really like getting in the water. Um, there's, as I said before, some amazing amazing coves around and amazing scuba diving. I actually got certified to scuba dive when I was about 13 years old, and have really enjoyed getting in the water on Catalina. It's been some of my favorite dives. And of course, if you're close into the shore before the before it drops off very deep, you can see a lot. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible the wildlife you can see out there. You know, depending on the seasons right now, there's a lot of yellowtails and white sea bass swimming around. And also recently, the the giant black sea bass have been making a big comeback after uh, they were a big trophy fish way back in the day. And they were overfished a little bit, but now we're starting to see those come back. And it's really an incredible sight. These fish are magnificent. And, of course, you've got the kelp. Yes, yes, the kelp as well. The, the kelp has been taking a little bit of a hit. But there's definitely some great beds out on the island, and that's where all the all the fish like to hang out. You can see the most wildlife, and it's really surreal being under there and, uh, in those forests. Now, I should tell everybody that we are in the Pacific Ocean, so the water does get a little cool. It does. It does. If, especially during the winter, you know, you probably want at least a five-millimeter wetsuit. But in the summer, man, it's it's incredible. You can... Hop in with no wetsuit and just enjoy. It's, it's really great. And, of course, i got to ask you your favorite place for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Go. All right. I'd, I'd have to say my favorite place for breakfast would be the, the new Toyon Grill uh, run by the Conservancy. It's right as you're coming into town from the boat, and uh, they, they do some incredible work there. Um, I'd say my favorite place for lunch would be Descanso Beach Club because it's got a really, really cool bar right on the beach and a nice big kitchen, and they make some incredible food that you can enjoy right there on the beach under the palm trees. And it's really amazing. And, uh, and, and last for dinner. I say for dinner, it's got to be the Avalon Grill. My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Catalina, I've been coming to, if you've been listening to the show, since 1973. And so much of it never changes, which is why I keep coming back. It's only 22 miles from most of Los Angeles. So it's actually about 43 miles from Marina del Rey. But uh, it's, uh, it's eight miles across. It's 22 miles long. And the population has stayed relatively stable for many, many years, just about 4,000 people. And most of it's concentrated right here in Avalon. Uh, but if you want to see anything else on the island, there's somebody you've got to talk to. 
and that's the Catalina Island Conservancy. And they're the reason why people come back, because it's not overrun by us. It's well-managed. And joining me now from the Catalina Island Conservancy, Hillary Holt, how are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. Happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, well, we're happy that you do what you do, because... There are so many other destinations right now suffering from what they would call over-tourism, complete de- 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 destruction of, of, of resources and, and topography, right? Absolutely. You've been doing this how long? The Conservancy. The Conservancy has been doing this now for 47 years. We are one of the longest, oldest land trusts in California. And what's your mandate? Our mission is pretty unique for a lot of land conservancies in that we aim to be a responsible steward of the land through a balance of conservation, education, and recreation. Okay, that's a lovely description of a mission statement, but now let's get down and dirty. What do you do? We protect the island, and we make it accessible for people to come and visit. Which now, that's a double-edged source. That's a, uh, we yeah. always call it a slippery slope. It is. It really, really is. We want to be good neighbors and good partners with the economy of the island and the tourist base that is here. But we also have over 60 species on this island that exists nowhere else in the world. Such as? Oh, well, our most charismatic would be our dwarf island fox, the Channel I saw Island one. I fox. saw one. I saw one. Oh, they are so cute. They're babies. <laughs> Well, they are just about three-quarters of the size of the mainland gray fox, yeah. so they're really small, and a lot of people think they are little ones, but they're adults. And they're shy. You know, they're not as shy as they should be because they have evolved out here on an island without predators. They don't have what we like to call the street smarts that other wildlife may have. So, so. they're dumb? They need our help because they are highly motivated by food. Uh, to make sure that, let's put it this way, it's easy to have people put away their garbage when there's a bear around. But when it's something really cute that you want to see anyway, it's not for their safety, it's for the health of the animal. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so you've got, that's one of the 60 species. One of the 60, exactly. We have, so five endemic mammal species. We have three subspecies of birds. We have over 45 invertebrates, which includes snails here on the island, and eight plant species as well. We call them slugs in L.A. <laughs> well, slugs with uh, shells. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most surprising discovery you've made? There is a particular canyon on the island that is home to one of the rarest oaks in North America. And you walk in to that grove and it's like you're not even on Catalina anymore. And I think being on Catalina, I have found that it's almost impossible to talk about without talking about California in its entirety. I'm from Illinois. And so being out here in this Mediterranean climate, the California Floristics Province is one of Earth's 36 biodiversity hotspot. And so Catalina is really just an island in an island in some ways. You're part of a so bigger I, deal. So I went down a different path there. But, but you're part of a bigger deal. Part of a bigger deal, and it's really a global bigger deal in terms of trying to preserve species. So therefore, what is your biggest challenge? Nowadays, some of the biggest problems with conservation is the global movement of species around the world. And so out here... Where they shouldn't necessarily be. Where they shouldn't necessarily be. Not if we want to see unique species in unique places for very much longer. It's a term called homogenization around the world, where we're going to see the same things everywhere instead of unique things in unique places. Sort of like McDonald's. Sort of like McDonald's. And so what we ask visitors to the island to do is 
check their gear and their shoes of invasive seed species. If you're a boater coming over, check your storage holds. Make sure you see what's in there. Because Catalina is privately owned, so we don't currently have bios, bios, um, excuse me, biosecurity measures. Exactly. And of course, we can't ignore water, the water issue. You can't ignore water out here. Absolutely not. If everybody could live a day in a drought-prone island, then you'd really learn how you need to manage your water. And desalination is not the answer, necessarily. Every drop of desalinization water is a drop of diesel that we have to ship across the channel to create. And so even... And in certain countries, it it ruins the coral reefs because you have so much salt going back in the water. Now, they... We are assured, of course, that these are going back into the water at the required uh, permitted levels, but it's absolutely true. One of the things on Catalina is we don't have a lot of water storage. So because our population, because of tourism, changes so drastically from the winter to the summer, in the, the winter— and the, and the demand changes, of course. And the demand changes. So in the winter, um, we put more of that uh, desal water back into the water or back into the ocean and then in the summer we don't have enough um we don't have enough to to go go around so um a big swing and that plays a lot into the maintenance of these uh, machines but somehow at least for the time being you've been able to make it work we have made it work it's been through the decades under the ownership of the island company and the Wrigley family that they have worked on this utility um, over over the years, putting in um, different one the desalinization plant um, and and working on the process. I mean, the good news is the island essentially for all these decades has been managed by people who actually live here. Yeah, that makes a big difference. <clears throat> And that really goes back to the slippery slope. I, we live in a really wonderful community, and I love being a part of it. But if you, some of these people that live here, they have family members that they say their family goes back four or five generations. So take their backyard and turn it into a land conservancy and change the rules. You have some pushback, but you also have a lot of perspective. My favorite people to take out in the hills are the ones that say, wow, that used to be bare rock. And now you can see it recovering. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. My next guest, I see him every time I'm in, I'm in Catalina. We, uh, we've done the show before from here. He's essentially the unofficial historian of Catalina uh, with the Catalina Island Company and, of course, the Hotel Atwater, Sean McAlpin. How are you, sir? Peter, good to see you again. Uh, now, okay, you were born in Chicago. How would you get here? I got here 10 years ago. I heard they were uh, opening up a new uh, restaurant, the Catalina Island Company. They opened the Avalon Grill. It's our 10, 10th anniversary this year. And I well, the last time I talked to you, you were a bartender there. Correct. I was the opening bartender on that very first night. <laughs> and I stayed there 10 years. We're still going strong. But while you've been here, you've really embraced the history. I mean, I mean, for example, I mean, I know this is radio, but if, in the interest of full disclosure, sure. two minutes before we just went on the air, you gave me a present. 
and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm framing this, it's going on the wall. Right. Tell me the presence. Well, I just, you know, over the years here, people have gotten to know me as kind of the baseball guy in town. Uh, when the because, Chi- of the, because of the Chicago because Cubs. Because the Chicago Cubs. When they, when they practiced here for spring training from 1921 to 1951, that's, a, that's 30 years of equipment. When the teams left each year to go back to Chicago to start the season, they'd leave all their equipment with the local uh, high schools and give them to some of the kids. Well, 30 years is a lot of accumulation of gloves, uh, bats, jerseys, baseballs, and I've had the privilege of finding some of these coming out of the attics, out of the basements, just out of the basic woodwork of Catalina, Avalon. And you gave me from the 1930s. 1930s, I believe it's a Rawlings glove, but like you said earlier, it's, it's hard to find the markings on it. But uh, it's a beautiful glove. It shows the history of, of baseball. It shows the history of Cubs. It shows the history of Avalon. And it's that's amazing. what I love about it. Well, the story that I loved about, about the Cubs in spring training is that up at the Wrigley Mansion, which is now called the Inn at Mount Ada, but at the, at, the, at the Wrigley Mansion where he lived, where William Wrigley lived, he had binoculars up there, and he would watch the spring. He'd watch the training. He'd, probably, he'd watch the games because he had a direct line on the field. And if he didn't like what he saw... He had a phone, he had a, a landline that went from the mansion to the dugout, right? That's correct. And he would call them up on the phone and say, hey, the boys come and see me, which meant they had to run all the way up that hill. All the way up. And those players dreaded that phone call. But I'll <laughs> tell you what, over the years, I've met several uh, families that were on the island at the time, and there's wonderful pictures of the players running up the, the hill to see, to say, pretty much say goodnight to Mr. and Mrs. Uh, and by the way, it still didn't win them a World Series, did it? <laughs> no, but they came close a few times. <laughs> They came close a few times, and they finally did, and well, that's what yeah. matters. And that's the last time I saw you. That's correct. That's, that's right. correct. They won. I believe it was April of 2016. Yeah. And just uh, five months later, they were uh, lifting the trophy. Amazing. Nice. Yeah. What's the thing that's still special to you about this island? Well, you know, you had said earlier I'm the historian. I've always looked at myself as a student of the island. I learn every day, whether it's from, from Allison or Austin or from uh, Lolo, the local barber. Oh, by the way, let's talk about Lolo, the barber. Sure. I mean... Every time I've come here, Lolo's still there. He's still working. He's, how, how old is he? He now? just cut my hair about two hours ago. And how old is he? You know, he just turned 90 years old. He was born two uh, weeks after this beautiful building was built in 1929. And he just had his 90th birthday on the 3rd of July. And if you want to know what's going on in, in Catalina, you got to go see Lolo. He's the guy to go to. He's the official Catalina historian. Whether and it comes to the Cubs, to the Wrigleys, or to getting your hair cut. Explain what his store looks like. I mean, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a barbershop. It's but right I mean, out of the past. I mean, I was looking at bats from Stan, uh, from Hack Wilson today. I was looking at little pictures of Tiger Woods when he had played out here when he was 10 years old. It's uh, from wall to wall decorated with uh, the history of Avalon. And uh, it's wonderful. Golfing, baseball. And, and here's the thing about Lolo, and, 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 and I'm not kidding. If you're walking around Avalon and you have a couple of minutes to spare, I don't, you don't have to need a haircut. Just go in there and talk to the guy. He'll, he'll sit down and open right up to you. It's amazing. It's amazing. amazing. I know. He's but an it, amazing man. He is. I mean, I mean, I mean it's, look, it's all about storytelling. I agree. And the other thing is you've got a great museum now. Excellent. On Metropole Street. It's I went beautiful. through. I, yeah. You didn't have that the last time I was here. No, you know, they, uh, they opened up several years ago, but several of the events they've had there have been remarkable. They have a bird park museum that's going on right now that has a lot of the original Otis Shepherd signs that, that would adore the park, and uh, they do a wonderful job at displaying those signs. But what's the biggest surprise to you about this island? Ooh, the biggest surprise. Great question. Well, I'd have to see, over the years, I've noticed more and more traffic, people coming over here experiencing Catalina for its first time. And I always insist, if you're, if you're in 
Catalina for more than two days, I always insist you, you get outside the city. The city is only two and a half by three miles, but still it's, there's 26 miles at length and eight miles at its width. So there's a lot more island to explore. I always tell people, if you get a chance, go up to the airport, have a buffalo burger, watch some planes fly in, fly out. Now let's, talk, let's talk about the buffalo burger, sure. okay? Because we go back to Zane Gray in the days that they made the, the old westerns sure. here and he brought the, he brought the bison over. Yes, um, Vanishing American. I just watched it not too long ago. I didn't see any buffalo, but it was a good movie. And when he left, they, let, they left the animals. That, you know, what I've been looking into, some of the animals broke out of their uh, stalls, and they went to Mr. Wrigley and said, uh, can we just leave them there? And they said, sure, just let them roam. And they turned them to the fabric of Catalina. You know, a lot of the tours, we'll feed, uh, the Conservancy will feed a lot of the buffalo near the roads, so when the tours come by, you see an abundance of buffalo. And I think that's wonderful. But to, to, let's, let's dispel a rumor. Sure. When you get a buffalo burger at the airport, it doesn't come from those buffaloes. That's correct. Thank you That's very much. That's correct. I think there's only one slaughterhouse for buffalo in the United States, and it's in the Dakotas, Montana, up there somewhere. And they, they couldn't distinct what buffalo <laughs> comes from where. That but I do, do encourage people to get up to the airport. It's the coolest little airport. Un incredible. It's great. They just remodeled the runway. They had to. It's a, yes. They, they had to. They I've landed there before. <laughs> but it's a private airport. They have a wonderful restaurant up there. And sometimes the buffalo will walk right up to a great place to see buffalo as well. Walk right up there. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Do you ever get out in the water? I do. I do. It's funny that you say that. We were talking about Lolo. You know, people, kids that grew up on the island, they either take to sports, uh, baseball, and golf, or the other half takes to water. It's kind of they never do both. But uh, I do. I swim most days right out in front of, uh, on Step Beach, which is located to the left of the Green Pier. Uh, the water's clear. It's beautiful. It's nice. It's refreshing. And if you live on an island, you should be swimming, right, in the ocean. All right, so now let's not talk about your former restaurant history. Okay. But tell me where you like to go for breakfast. Well, I, I'm going to be a little biased on the breakfast. Okay, one. okay. I, so I do all the food and beverage up at Mount Ada, and I serve breakfast up there every morning from 7 And you to know 10. what? I'll let you be biased because I've, I've stayed up there, and mm -hmm. it's pretty wild. It's incredible. Well, it's only six bedrooms. It, there's only six bedrooms. Mr. Wrigley built it up there because it's the first and last residence to get sun in Avalon and obviously it overlooked Wrigley Field so he can sit up there and watch the Cubs but I serve a breakfast up there every morning to our in-house guests that a it could be the best breakfast served in Southern California you have the, the sun rising from the east over the, over the water the, the city of Avalon's getting illuminated I'm serving you French Nutella uh, French toast eggs Benedict a fruit plate with five different fruits it's incredible I just like the way you said it. Oh. Ah, okay. Lunch we already decided. It's the Buffalo <laughs> Burger at the airport. There you go. Mount Ada in the morning for breakfast. And at night, I'm going to have to say, going with the Avalon Grill. So when I go out, I like to have, I like to meet interesting, fascinating people, and I meet them at the bar at Avalon Grill. What about Grill. Steve's Steakhouse? Love Steve's. I'll, I'll go up there. I take my dates up there to Steve's Steakhouse. Ah. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy the cut of meat. I, I you get take my your chicken. dates? You have, I, you, are you an air traffic controller? <laughs> no, but I do try to go to different restaurants for... Uh, on my on my excursions it's got to be tough dating here because everybody knows everybody it's how tough. many dates are you having not many not many <laughs> and you're right it's a small town and everybody seems to know you so i if i uh, really want to meet someone serious i usually go over town or you leave the island or i leave the island go over town yeah keep it secret correct correct <laughs> hey sean thank you so much for the baseball glove that is amazing enjoyed seeing you hello and welcome to alaska flight 438 we'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft the most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants please look at one now
One of the most amazing things about this building, as opposed to the, just the, the largest circular ballroom in the world, is it's got a 1,200-seat auditorium and a theater with an operating amazing pipe organ. How many pipes, John? I haven't counted them. I think probably around 12 to 1,400. So. 1400. That's John Tusak, who originally from Downey, California, came over here on a day trip and never left. Right, 1998. <laughs> and here's the cool thing about this theater it doesn't happen every night, it happens on Friday and Saturday nights that the people who come here to watch the movies, the real secret is they're not coming here to see the movie, they're coming here to hear John because you perform for an hour before the, actually before the show starts. Yes, that's right. Quite a few um, organ phonetics. And they come over just for that. They do. They do. And then I see the same people either monthly, quarterly, annually, but they always make the trek to the theater. How old is the organ? Uh, 90 years old, same as the building. The, they opened together. They were both born into the, I mean, transition from the silent picture to the talking pictures. So. Of course, the obvious question is, who fixes this thing? <laughs> I usually have to do it myself if, if we want to play the organ anytime soon. So I just do the repairs as needed. So. And the parts are essentially hard to come by. I mean, this is a, a, a labor of love to keep this thing going. Uh, hard to come by, or you have to fabricate them yourself. So. A lot of leather, leather, leather parts that dry out and crack and have to be replaced. Not to mention compressors. And compressors. We changed a blower compressor last year. So what's the most requested song here in Avalon? Ah, uh, the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> but, but yeah, but I'm talking about, about Avalon, though. Come on. Well, they want to hear that gothic, scary organ music, you know, <laughs> like Haunted Mansion type thing. So. But for the real locals here, Avalon, that's our, our theme song. We play Avalon uh, immediately before the start of every picture. Are you going to play some for me right now? I will. John Tusak, ladies and gentlemen, the organist right here in the Casino Theater on a 90-year-old 1,400-pipe organ. Nicely done. Wow. How many different keys are on that organ? It's amazing. It's around 300 up here. The 300 separate keys that can activate a different, a different sound. And we have 61 notes on each of the four ma uh, manuals and 32 notes on the, on the pedal that you play with your feet. Other than the organ, what keeps you in Avalon? What keeps you in Catalina? <laughs> oh, the weather, the people, and the whole experience. Other than Phantom of the Opera, other than that song Avalon, which goes back decades. Al Jolson. Did Al Jolson ever perform it here? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. But other bands have been here. I mean, I, I mentioned Perry Como, Benny Goodman, Sinatra. Our main band here during the, the 40s was Jan Garber. And they would go out every night at 9 o'clock p.m. 
and play Avalon to the city out on the balcony. And, you know, earlier in the show, we were talking to Sean McAlpin about Alolo the Barber. Perry Como was a barber here in World War II. Yes, he was. And I understand you had some relatives working here, too. Uh, my mom used to sing here. And actually, I later on became a, a, a child singer, if you will, on the Perry Como show when it was live on NBC back in 19... Oh, I can't tell you that year. No. <laughs> But it's true. I probably saw it. (laughs) Well, if you saw it, I didn't because it was live. In those days, although I will say that somebody who was an idiot at NBC uh, in the the warehouse one day, like, burned so many of the kinescopes, they got rid of them. But a couple of people found one or two and sent them to me. And there actually is one remaining episode that I was able to see. Oh, I'd like to see it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty young. I'm pretty young. But the bottom line is, every Friday and Saturday night, starting at what time? 5.30. We've moved it up an hour. For many years, it was 6.30. And we're trying a different time scale. Now, 5.30 to 6.30. And then the movie starts at 6.30. One showing a night, all year round. This is cool. And now, but the thing is this, you're not going to see John here during the rest of the week. You're only going to see him on Friday and Saturday night. And Sunday. And occasionally Monday. And if I'm here, I'll play any day. (laughs) So what basically is saying, you got to know somebody to call somebody to find out is John playing. And if John is playing, get your buns in here. It's worth it to sit in this acoustic arena and listen to that 1400 pipe organ. John Tusek, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, play something, will you? During the 40s, you would would come to the movies to not only see the movie, but that's how you got your news. You would see newsreels. And the organ would play along with the newsreels. Yeah, and it would be the eyes and ears of the world. tradition, at least on this show, of having a Wrigley family member in every hour. <laughs> We're now joined by Hunter Wrigley Rusak. Where where do I find you today, Hunter? I'm actually up in the Bay Area. I, I work in uh, Mountain View, California. Right, but you you really grew up right here. I did. I mean, uh, Catalina's the first place I went from uh, the, the time I was born. I think I went home from the hospital, and two weeks later, I was on the island for my first visit out there. And what a great place to grow up, because, I mean, kids can't really get in trouble here, can they? Or maybe I shouldn't ask that question. It's a different kind of trouble you get into when you're on an island. But, uh, you know, there's there's always something exciting to, to go goof around with, and there's plenty of uh, fun outdoor activities that you can just kind of get lost in. I mean, for me, I, I grew up on an island as well. You, you know, you don't have to go to a museum to discover nature. It's in your face. You don't have to go to a museum to discover agriculture. It's in your face. You don't have to go to, to a museum to discover the water. It's in your face. It's, it's all the things that we take for granted, you discover ahead of everybody else. It's so true. And Catalina really has that incredible blend of land and, and sea. Uh, easy to find yourself hiking in the hills in the morning and then spear fishing or snorkeling in the, in the afternoon down uh, just right off the coast of Avalon. Pretty incredible. What's the biggest misconception people have about the island? I think the biggest misconception would be that it's some kind of rinky-dink tourist trap town. Uh, a lot of people write it off. You know, you meet so many people in the L.A., Long Beach areas that say, oh, I've heard of Catalina, but I, I've never been out there. And they're like, well, you know, it only takes about an hour to get there. I had no idea. 
they don't realize that there's this incredible blend of both really nice resort quality tourism. There's a great local scene. And then there's also this huge, expansive uh, nature preserve that keeps this awesome balance of both tourism, recreation, and then this education that uh, you can learn about the natural history of California and the Channel Islands. You talk about Californians not coming to Catalina. How many New Yorkers have never been to the Statue of Liberty? I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's literally in their backyard. I mean, and on those terribly hot days in Los Angeles, uh, the, the thermometer here is at least 15 degrees cooler. Yeah, it's true. Especially, I mean, you're right on the water. Los Angeles is such a great, big, expansive city, and most people think of just Santa Monica, but there's so much more to Los Angeles, and you don't always get that awesome ocean breeze that you get every day of every or every moment of every day on Catalina. When you bring your friends back here, where do you take them? You know, I always try and get out into the interior of the island. Uh, it's, it's just such a special place, and you have to have a, a permit to get out there, and, and anyone can get a permit, but you need a vehicle, and vehicles are incredibly difficult to come by on. Catalina, there's a 10 year or so waiting list, but getting out into that interior and, and seeing not just Avalon, which is great and has a lot going on, but getting out to Two Harbors, which is on the other side, and it's much quieter and more serene. You can really be in tune with with what Catalina is at its essence. You know, I used to take take my boat over here all the time and, and anchor mm-hmm. in Avalon, but I wouldn't come on the weekends. I'd come on like a Wednesday or a Thursday, or I'd come Definitely. sometimes on a, on a Sunday when everybody else was leaving, and that's when you really own the island. It's true. Yeah, the the moorings, especially during peak summer, can can really light up, but it's it's beautiful year round. And sometimes the the best times I've had on the island is really during that down season, uh, late in the fall or, or early spring before. Uh, tourism really picks up. You know, when we think about responsible tourism and trying to maintaining, you know, the quality of life, I have to do a hats off to the folks here in Catalina because any visiting boat that comes into the harbor is boarded by the authorities and they will drop mm-hmm. a neon dye tablet in the toilet of every single lavatory you have on the boat, uh, every head. And then if anybody uh, does the stupid thing of trying to flush overboard, that area right outside the boat lights up literally like a neon sign, and you are banned from the harbor. And you know what? You can go swimming in that harbor. That's the cool thing. Yeah, it's, they do a really they do a really great job of keeping the harbor clean and, and making sure that everyone is, is being safe and uh, responsible while they're visiting the island, especially on boats. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly My next guest is from Mexico City, but he hung out at the Four Seasons in Newport Beach. He hung out at the uh, Belmont El El Encanto near Santa Barbara, and he was cooking for everybody before he got smart and moved to Catalina. He's the executive chef at the uh, Catalina Island Company, Roberto Hernandez. How are you, sir? Very good. And yourself? I'm good. I mean, I mean, you're 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 officially a Southern Californian now. Perfect. It is. It's it true. Is. But in, instead of cooking on the mainland, you're cooking on the island, and on an island, you have other challenges. Correct. First of all, you got to be able to source stuff. It's got to be able to make the boat, or it doesn't get here. Exactly. Right. Pretty much, is uh, planning in advance is like two to three days lead. If you're uh, lucky. Yeah. Yes. It's not like in the mainland that you forget to order something, you pick up the phone. And they deliver the second or third track here. Pretty much, if you're not organized, you're it, it ain't going to happen. Correct. Right? It'll be macaroni and cheese. Exactly for <laughs> probably three to four days. No, we don't want that. <laughs> I can do macaroni and cheese for a day. Yeah, but 
when I first came to Catalina, and that's about 44 years ago, the the offerings on the menu were basically grilled cheese and a hot dog. It it really, and you had maybe had one place that would give you maybe a prime a prime rib. That was it. Things have changed. A lot, a lot. It changed a lot. We, this is one of the chances that we would like to show what we're capable of doing here in Catalina, that we can provide the same food, the same service that if we were on the mainland. Uh, we have our challenges to get the product here, yes, but I don't think we have any challenge to execute the dishes the same as we do at the mainland. You know, I, I talk about, you know, you're from Mexico City. Most Americans do not understand Mexican food. They think it's an enchilada, Rice tortilla. Beans. Right? Rice and beans. Rice and beans. And that's not a true It's Mexican. stereotypical garbage because people don't understand that it's one of the great cuisines of the world. In fact, it's recognized as almost a UNESCO World Heritage menu. Yes, I was very impressed uh, last year when I went to Mexico. I saw how the industry has been growing, especially in Mexico City. How there's a lot of famous chefs that they even have a Michelin star things like that. But you, you just said it right. A lot of people have the concept that Mexican food is just rice, beans, and tortillas, which is not... Um, I've been taking the opportunity here to, whenever they have a chance to uh, execute dishes that are really traditional dishes from Mexico and to have... That came from your mother's kitchen. Mother's kitchen, exactly. Right now we have actually one of the dishes that she taught me how to, how to make it, which is the chicken tinga. What is a chicken tinga? Chicken tinga is very traditional in Mexico City. It's pretty much pulled chicken. You saute some uh, white onions and then add tomatoes, chipotle sauce, and just let it cook very, very slow until everything gets incorporated and you serve that in a taco or a tostada. Nice thing. Garnish it with uh, queso fresco and just shredded lettuce on top. Not bad. And simple. Simple. But the whole point is about the technique. The technique. It's to, always the technique. Exactly. So what, is you, what were you able to do here now that you couldn't have done before? First of all, I learned that uh, the cuisine is going in a different route. It's more simple, more lighter than before. I remember 15, 16 years ago when I was cooking, it was more heavy, more... Uh, a lot of sauces. Cream sauces, yeah. And now it's more lighter. Uh, so your consumption of butter has decreased? A lot. More and olive oil? Uh, more olive oil, yeah. More vinegars, more fresh uh, press juices. Uh, I utilize all the, the vegetables too. Well, speaking of that, are you able to source anything from yeah. Catalina Island itself? Uh, well, during summertime, just uh, fish, which we have some uh, local fishermen that they bring me. Uh, last year, they, they brought me some uh, swordfish. Uh, this year, I'm planning to do the same. And also, a couple times, I got sea bass and local uh, halibut. Right. But, but, no, but no, no produce. No produce. Design. It's got to come in by the boat. Exactly. Right. What are you doing in terms of a menu item? Uh, how do you, you know, satisfy? Because so many people here who are coming are visitors. Right. They come with their own pre, pre, preordained taste. Yes. Right. How do you satisfy that? Well, it's a, it's a very good um, thing that it's happening to me in my career because in other places uh, you have a good structure or you have a good uh, vision of what you need it needs to be on the menu. Here we have a lot of diversities where a lot of people come from different parts of the world. Uh, and that gives us more opportunity to execute and, and to have different types of uh, dishes on my menu. Uh, I mean, you got to have a hamburger, I get it, but... But, for example, uh, two years ago, we have some uh, dishes from Puerto Rico because I have uh, some chefs from Puerto Rico. We have some dishes from Mexico. We have dishes from Hawaii and 
So we try to have a diversity of uh, So what you're basically saying is whoever shows up on the island, we're cooking with what they want to cook with. Uh, half and half. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to keep some staples on the menu. Right. But bottom line is, if you have the opportunity to bring that into the menu, you will. Exactly. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.